Hi, I'm David Goforth, pastor at Grace Baptist Church. So glad that you're taking the time to listen to this podcast. And I want to let you know we're here to help you. If you have any questions, please visit our website, gbcwc.org. Contact us. We'd love to help. Here in Luke 1, we, we have been studying not just Luke 1. We've been studying the different characters of Christmas. And we've been looking at a number of different things. Last week, we spent just a little bit of time talking about the most important character of Christmas, that being Jesus Christ. And we really only looked at one aspect of him, and that is the fact that Jesus is wonderful, is wonderful. And we pointed that out and didn't really have time to really go into the depths of it. But today we're going to talk about Mary. Now you're there in Luke chapter 1. We're going to start down in verse 26. Let me set the scene so you, so you know what's happening. And then we're going to read through uh, just verse by verse and kind of tell you the story, go through this and, and try to draw some conclusions as we go. But the, Luke tells us, now Luke and Matthew's gospels are different and they're telling the story of the arrival of the Christ child. And basically if you look at it, Matthew's looks to be more told from the perspective of Joseph, whereas Luke looks to be more told from the perspective of Mary. And so there are different things. There are other different things between the two of them. But as he is telling this story, he he starts out telling us about Zacharias and Elizabeth. This is a couple in their 70s or 80s. Uh, Zacharias is a priest and he serves there in the temple. An angel comes to him, Gabriel, and says that uh, he's going to have a child and that child is going to be the forerunner uh, of the Messiah. And Zachariah uh, thinks that's kind of funny because he's 70 or 80. And his wife is 70 or 80. And he says, <laughs> I don't think so. And so the angel says, well, you're not going to talk until it happens. Um, and then you're going to name him John. And that, that's what happens. That's the story that's told. And then if you're thinking about this, if you've got this in your imagination and you need an imagination as you're studying and looking through these narrative passages of scripture, the camera is going to turn away from Jerusalem and it's going to focus in in Nazareth. And it's going to focus in on a young lady. Now, in our mindset, in our culture, when we think of somebody of marriageable age, we do not think teenager most of the time. However, even in this room, there are people who don't think it's strange for a teenager to be married. There are individuals who got married as a teenager. There are folks that we've had uh, within our ministry uh, that, uh, that have gone off. They've gotten married, come back, and lived a wonderful life. I do not say that I would point to that person and say, well, that means that every teenager should get married. It's amazing to me uh, that uh, that that still happens. But understand back in Bible times, it was more of a routine thing. In fact, most people think that she was probably, Mary and Joseph were probably 16 or somewhere around there, maybe even a little younger. But they were were not much older. And to most of us, we think, oh my goodness, how could that be? Well, that's because of of God's grace. And as the camera switches to Mary, you have to understand, here is a normal girl. She's not the girl that you've seen in paintings with the weird cloud of stuff around her head and with these awkward looks on her face with angels surrounding her. She is a normal person. If you would have run into her in the Walmart, you would have not thought anything about her except maybe why is she here by herself? That's it. That's all you would have thought. And she has been espoused which means that her father and her husband-to-be's father have come to an arrangement, come to an agreement for them to be married. Now, I know that marriage is different in our day and age, but don't think that back then the young ladies didn't think about marriage back then as well. It was a different situation. They didn't have all the Disney movies and all the happily ever after kind of things that went through their mind, but they knew that, hey, things were going to be changing drastically because once they were espoused, they lived with their parents, they proved their purity during that time, and then when the marriage time came, she was going to leave her parents' house move in with her husband and probably on her husband's family's land and her life was going to change. And 
the reason it would be so drastic is because she went from child to adult, no teenage years. No years where she could live in the basement and play Xbox and, and hang out on the internet and post things on Instagram. It went directly from child to adult. And so as she's thinking about that, think about what's going through her mind. Think about what is happening. Think about the things that are, that are just racing through her mind. She was not a rich person. We don't think that from Scripture. But she would have been thinking about the wedding feast. Now, it may not have been a feast. Usually, it would have go anywhere from one day to more than a week, depending on the wealth of the parents. But it would have at least been one day, and that would have been a very festive time. She's thinking about this. She's looking forward to this. She's excited about this. And then her world's going to change drastically. If you have your Bible open, we're going to start reading in verse 26, right after we have a word of prayer. Lord, bless this time. Help us to understand truth as we look at your word, and help us to be encouraged and challenged and strengthened this morning. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for sending your son for us. In Christ's precious name, amen. And in the six months, the six month of what? Six months since Zacharias went home to Elizabeth, she conceived. She was now six months with child. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth. Now, Gabriel appears in Luke 1. The only other place he appears is in Daniel when he's explaining some things to Daniel. And he comes and he says, I'm, he, he comes for a very specific reason. There's a couple things right here we can pick up. I just want to kind of go through and, and give the application. I wasn't going to save them for the end, but I don't want to save them for the end. I want to go as we go through along. Sometimes there are things that happen in our life, and we want to look at them, and we want to try to ascribe certain meanings to it. When there is a big event that happens, when there is a, a big event, either like a, a, some type of a meteorological event or some type of a thing that goes on, we want to look and say, well, God had this happen, these different things went through and caused judgment here. I don't know if you remember, but, but I remember as a kid, anytime an earthquake hit California, some preacher somewhere would say something about Hollywood and how God is judging Hollywood. And, and I always thought as a kid, I said, well, maybe judges, God is judging Hollywood or maybe Hollywood's built close to a fault line between, you know, some, some, some very big tectonic plates. Maybe that has something to do with it as well. And you have to be careful not to ascribe things. One of the things that so many people want to do is they want to look at the stuff that's happening around them and go, aha, this is what's happening in Scripture. You can't do that. The things that happen in Scripture that God wants us to know and ascribe certain specifics to them, he actually ascribes certain specifics to them. And some of us here are old enough, we understand that there have been different times when different things have happened. But folks, I have read the different sermons and the different things that were put out back when Hitler was coming into power and people were talking about, well, we found the Antichrist, we found the beast, we found the person that's coming to, he wasn't. And so you have to be very, very careful not to, not to ascribe certain things. So God is going to give some very special circumstances and he's going to delineate exactly what they need to think about these circumstances. But you know, this teaches us something else. It's important that you realize as a Christian that yes, your life should preach Christ. You know, the way each and every one of us, many of us are probably off for Christmas, taking different time off at different time, maybe just one day, maybe a couple of days, maybe a whole week. But there is almost a belief that our life by itself should preach Christ. Our life should absolutely preach Christ, but God has also given us words to preach Christ. Yes, you should show Christ when you go into the office. Yes, you should show Christ when you are at the restaurant. Yes, you should show Christ in your neighborhood. But understand, God does not send his servants to just be somewhere. He sends them with a message, and he sends Gabriel with a specific message for Mary. Look at verse 27. Sends her to a virgin espoused to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name 
was Mary. We're not told where Mary was. We don't know if she was at the well getting the water for the day. We don't know if she was, uh, what she was doing, but we just know that Gabriel came to her, and it was a place where she was able to interact with Gabriel, Gabriel with her, and it seems as if nobody else knew exactly what was going on. She probably would have been thinking, she, I, I, can't, I just can't imagine a young lady who knows that her marriage day is coming. I can't, I can't imagine any young lady not thinking about it. Mainly because I've met many ladies who don't even have an engagement that are already thinking about their wedding. Has anybody ever met anybody like that? Okay. Just a few of you. All right. I thought maybe at Christmas some more of you would raise your hand. The reality is there are some folks that think about their weddings long before they have somebody to actually do the wedding with. So to think that Mary was probably just going about her business, doing whatever, and not thinking, she was probably thinking about what was, and who knows, we, we tend to think, well, because this was an arranged marriage, there wasn't any relationship between she and Joseph. But folks, Nazareth was not a huge town. It wasn't like there were a few million hanging out in Nazareth and she wouldn't have run into him. This was a small town at the time. They would have been able to interact with each other. And who knows, I can't, I can't imagine her not thinking about the fact that she is going to be a wife in just a few short months. And then this happens. This angel shows up, and it tells us that it's to a man named Joseph of the house of David. Why? Because the lineages given are, are given to tell us that this is the Messiah. He has the legal right as the heir of his supposed father. He also has the birthright from the heir of his mother. Both are lines of David. And you see that in the two different genealogies. Look at verse 28. And the angel came in unto her and said, Hail, thou that art highly favored, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. You see that word highly favored? Well, it's two words in the English. That, that word in the Greek only appears in one other time. It's in Ephesians 1.6. To the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he hath made us accepted in the beloved. Anybody want to guess what word highly favored is in verse 6 of Ephesians 1? It's accepted. See, he comes to Mary and says, you are highly favored. This means you have been graced. You have been graced. You know, the, the things that we can learn from this, it's an amazing thing. Sometimes, often in our circles, we will talk about how we found Christ, how we came to know Christ. And we'll oftentimes talk about the different things that happened. Maybe how somebody came and, and, and talked to you about the Lord, or how somebody came and witnessed to you, or how you were uh, led to the Lord by a, perhaps a teacher, or maybe in children's church. But understand, if you know the Lord, if you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, it's because you've been graced. It's for by grace. Are you saved through faith? It's through grace. And listen, I believe that man has a choice. He has a real choice that he has to make. But understand that salvation is all, all, all of grace. You did not find God. God revealed himself to you. You did not come up with the idea of trying to take care of your eternal destiny. God planned it in eternity past to be able to take care of your eternal destiny. And he comes to Mary and says, you are highly favored. Do you know what it doesn't mention? Mary, you are one of America's top models. Doesn't mention that. Mary, you have a very paintable face. You're going to be, it's very, very important. Because there's going to be a lot of portraits that will be painted about you. Mary, you have a melodic voice. When you sing, the birds come and land on your shoulder. And also sometimes so close for you, if you need be. None of that is said. He says, Mary, you are highly favored and you are blessed. Why? Because God has graced her. 
then I want you to think about this. Mary is no doubt shocked and confused. When angels showed up and started talking to human beings, it, it wasn't like you meeting some, an old friend. It was a very, very scary thing. And verse 29 says, when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying. And cast in her mind what manner of salutation this should be. She says, why am I blessed? Why am I graced? Why, why am I highly favored? See, there, was, there, there's, there are different individuals who will venerate Mary and say that she had some special worth in and of herself. No, the worth was in the fact that God chose Mary. And she was troubled. She knew she was a sinner. She knew she was not the perfect one. But she struggled at his greeting. She thought, you can't be talking to me. Look at verse 30. And the angel said to her, fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. That word favor is the word charis, grace. You found grace with God. And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb and bring forth a son, shall call his name Jesus. He shall be great and shall be called the son of the highest. And the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David, and he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there shall be no end. Can I tell you, if, if Mary truly was a normal teenager, she wouldn't have even heard any of this. Because the angel said, greetings, Mary, you're highly favored. And she would have thought, what? I've talked to many teenage girls, and I've seen them look right at me and not hear a thing that I have said. It's happened. But Mary stays locked in, and she's listening to what's going on. And he says, look at verse 31, Behold, thou wilt conceive in thy womb and bring forth a son, and call his name Jesus. Now maybe she heard everything after that, but if she was still listening, after the angel shows up and says, Hey, you are highly favored, you are, you are graced by God among more highly than any other woman. You're going to conceive in your womb. He's talking to a teenager who's not married. And she doesn't laugh, she doesn't scorn, she doesn't do anything. What does she do? Look at verse 34. Then said Mary to the angel, How shall this be, seeing I know not a man? You know, it's interesting. I don't, I don't remember who said this to me first, but all the different arguments and all the different theological arguments about whether or not if Mary was a virgin, there was one person that knew as Mary. And Mary's first question was what? Uh... What? And I don't think the angel was talking fast. I think she was thinking, you said I'm going to have a kid, but uh, I, I, that, there's certain things that have to happen before you have a kid, and those things haven't happened. So, I, what? Now, she wasn't making fun. She had an honest question for him. And the angel answered, look at verse 35, and said to her, the Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore, that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. He does not go into detail. He says, Mary, the Holy Spirit is going to make you with child. Under the shadow of the mighty wings of the Holy Spirit, he, is going, he didn't go into the details, and folks, our mind wouldn't be able to comprehend how you can take God and turn God into flesh. Our, our mind could not comprehend that. Mary's mind could not comprehend that. But I want you to think what's going through Mary's mind at this point in time. Because she knows the culture, right? 
When we think of grace, what do you think of? Good things, right? Hopefully, you go to Grace Baptist Church. Hopefully, you think of good things. We, we, we often say something like, there but by the grace of God go I. What do we usually mean when we say that? Boy, somebody's in a worse shape than me, but boy, praise the Lord for grace. And we understand the amazing nature of God's grace, but here Mary sees God's grace. And if there's one thing I want you to pick up, there's two things, main things from this message I want you to pick up. The first one is that God's grace often shows up in perplexing ways. Mary has been told, you are never going to be with a man, and yet you are going to be with child. Now remember, Mary hasn't heard the Christmas story all of her life. Mary hasn't seen the movies. Mary hasn't heard the great theological explanations of what was going to happen. She's just been told, you're going to have a baby. And she said, but I haven't been with a guy. God's going to take care of it. You don't have to worry about that. He's going to be born of a virgin. To a Jewish teenager that is espoused to be married, God's grace would not have appeared as all that amazing. Because people are going to see that baby bump growing, and what are they going to assume? Oh, there's the virgin-born son of God. Is that what they're going to assume? No. What are her parents going to think? What is her husband-to-be going to think? Just, just put yourself in Mary's shoes for just a little bit. We read this, and we think, oh, this is such a neat story. Mary's sitting there going, this is going to ruin my life. She could have thought that. And to many times, to many, many folks, when God's grace shows up, they miss it. You see, because sometimes God's grace He graces us with weakness. Why? We don't think of weakness as a grace. Sometimes he graces us with inabilities. Like not just weak, but completely unable to do something. Sometimes he graces us with hardships. Sometimes he graces us with persecutions. We live in a country where we can freely meet. There are folks this Christmas that have had to hide to worship this Christmas. But even persecutions could be his grace. Difficulties could be his grace. And the Bible has told us that all things work together for good. You see, God's grace comes sometimes in perplexing packages. Paul said, I want you to take, I want you to get rid of this physical ailment. And God said, no, because when you're weak, then my power can rest upon you. And Paul got it, and he said, wow. Well, then most gladly, therefore, I'm going to glory in my infirmities and my reproaches and my necessities. I want my life to go bad so that I'm terribly in a state of weakness so Christ's power can rest upon me. Because Paul had witnessed Christ's power. But there are so many Christians here today and listening on live stream that because of something that has come into your life, you have missed the grace because you have looked at the difficulty. Your God is an amazing God. It does not matter what your boss does. It does not matter what your spouse does. It does not matter what your child does. Listen, it does not matter what your body does. He has graced you with the ability for everything to point to good. For everything to be of benefit to you. 
Even the people that are so cruel to you that as brothers they would sell you into slavery, Joseph recognized you were evil, but you weren't so evil that you couldn't stop my good God. And for some of us here this morning, God's grace has showed up in a very perplexing package. We're in a battle right now. We want to get rid of this battle. We want to get rid of this hardship. We want to get rid of this difficulty. We want the wisdom, but we don't necessarily want the experience. We want the patience, but we don't want the suffering. We want the Christ-likeness and power, but we don't want the Christ-likeness and humility. Listen, I don't know what it is that God has brought to your life, but you can rest in the fact that he has brought it. No, no, Pastor, go for it. There wasn't God that brought this. It's my dumb son. God's still in control, right? Some of you are sitting out there going, oh, well, you can say that because you have daughters. <laughs> you know what? It doesn't matter. God is in control. You choose under whose hand you're going to live. You can live under the hand of circumstances if you want, but why would you when you can live under the hand of the sovereignty of God? You can live under the hand of your boss. You can live under the hand of a horrible spouse. You can live under the hand of disease. You can live under the hand of anything you want to, but why not live under the hand of God who has accepted you in the beloved? That's what Ephesians 1.6 says that we looked at just a couple seconds ago. That highly favored, you have been highly favored because you are accepted in Christ. And, and, and he, she goes on, the, the angel says some things about Jesus. I don't think we should, should just go past this. But he says his name will be Jesus. That's the Hebrew name Joshua for Savior, for Deliverer. It says that he will be great. We talked last week about how he's going to be wonderful. But not only that, I want you to think about something. We, we talked a little bit about how wonderful it is. But just, just one more little snippet about this. What is it in this world that makes you go, wow? Maybe it's the Grand Canyon. Maybe it's a certain type of system that happens. For some of you, who knows? Maybe it's math. I've seen some people go, wow, isn't it neat how this math works out? I've never thought, wow, when I've come to math, but I've met people who have. Some people look at the human body and go, look at this amazing. Some people look at nature and go, look at this amazing. Understand, whatever it is that makes you go, wow, maybe it's a recipe on the cooking channel. Maybe it's some unbelievable ability that some athlete has. Do you know that anything that is wonderful, he that is wonderful is the one that made that and empowers that and keeps that together? He's the one that came up with the sunset. He's the one that came up with the northern lights. He's the one that came up with the starry sky. He is the one that's wonderful. And listen, no one outshines him. So often we'll get around people who are smarter than us and we feel like, oh, I can't talk to them about Christ. Or, or maybe they're more powerful than us. Well, I can't. Listen, you don't have to be smarter than anybody. You don't have to be prettier than anybody. You don't have to be more powerful than anybody. All you have to do is show them Christ. Because not one of them can stand toe-to-toe with them for any length of time. Not at all. You know, and there's going to come a day when they will recognize him as wonderful. And we are the vessels through which he can be recognized as wonderful now. Through your testimony. Through your life. Not only is he going to be great, he's going to be called the son of the highest. He's going to be uniquely God. He's going to be given the throne of David. This is a fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecy. And his kingdom will not end. You know what that means? Jesus Christ began a kingdom that has not ended to this day. Which brings up a question. How many of us this morning have bowed to him? Well, Pastor Goforth, I'm here at church. I know. But you know what? There was a time in my life when I could go to church on autopilot. You know what I'm talking about? I remember one time growing up, uh, dad, uh, 
quit taking the train to downtown Detroit. He switched uh, jobs. He's now working for General Motors. He no longer took the train. And he had to drive downtown. There was one Sunday morning that for some reason everybody got up a little bit late. Everybody was a little bit tired. Everybody crawled into the van and fell asleep right away. We lived about 15 miles from the church. And I was sitting in the back and as we were driving along, everybody was sleeping. Even mom was kind of sleeping. All of a sudden I looked around. As a kid, I didn't know necessarily exactly how to get anywhere, but I didn't recognize any of this stuff around me. I said, Dad, where are we? And my dad said, ah, crud. And he hit the brakes and he did a U-turn. He had been headed into downtown Detroit for the last 20 minutes, headed to work. He was so tired he forgot it was Sunday and it was time to go to church. And the rest of the people in the car were all asleep and were just driving along with them and going heading down there. But there are so many times you can just go to church because it's church time. I'm not asking you. I'm not asking you if you've gone to church. I'm asking you, have you bowed? Have you bowed? Now look, verse 36. Behold thy cousin Elizabeth, she hath also conceived a son in her old age, and this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For with God nothing shall be impossible. Here's the amazing thing. What we talk about here, what God's word talks about, you are not asked to have a blind faith. The angel did not come to Mary and say, Mary, you're going to have a baby. You're never going to be with a man, but you're going to have a child. Just trust me. He said, you know what? I've also talked to somebody else. God's word has showed up some other place, and Elizabeth's going to have a baby. Now, we don't know exactly the relationship between Elizabeth and Mary, but we know they were relatives. He said, Elizabeth is with child. There's proofs you can go and you can look at. And listen, I want you to see something. We don't have a blind faith. Peter, I was going to take you there, but we're not, for time I'm not going to go there. Peter talks about the time when he was at the transfiguration of Christ. And how he heard the actual voice of God. And how God said, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. And Peter said, I was there, I heard the voice. And then Peter said, but you know what? We have something even better. Now, you know what? I struggle believing that because my mind says, I'd rather have heard God's voice. I mean, haven't you ever just thought, maybe I'm the only person in this room that's ever done this, but haven't you ever thought, God, just sometimes I wish you would just say something to me? Hey, go forth. Don't take the freeway. <laughs> something, right? Just, just, just give, me, give, give me proof. And Peter says, oh, we've heard it. We've got something better. We don't stand up behind this pulpit and ask you to follow blindly. We say, listen, God has said, God has proven, and you have a choice. And what was Mary's choice? And we'll be done. Look at verse 38. And Mary said, behold, the handmaid of the Lord. She said, behold. She basically said, okay, I'm here to serve. Had she been to visit Elizabeth yet? No. But did she go? Yeah, she went. She said, okay, I believe I'm going to serve. Behold, the handmaid of the Lord, be it unto me according to thy word. And the angel departed from here. Here's the last question. We're going to be done. 
I'm not asking you this morning if you are an, an amazing theologian who can stand on every different principle from God's word. I'm not asking you if you can explain every event that's ever happened according to the scriptures. I'm not asking you if you can sit down and argue with any other theologian about any differing parts of their uh, belief from scripture. I'm not asking you to have perfect knowledge of scripture. I'm not asking you to have perfect faith. I'm just asking you, have you done what Mary's done? Have you decided, okay, this is what God has revealed to me. I will serve. Listen, God's not looking for some amazing, unbelievable Christian. He's looking for you to simply go, God, this is what you've revealed. This is what I'll follow. I know I'm supposed to love my wife. I know I'm supposed to submit to my husband. I know I'm not supposed to provoke my children to wrath. I know I'm supposed to obey my parents. I know I'm not supposed to forsake the assembling of ourselves together. Just just go through the stuff that you know and ask yourself, have you looked at God and said, behold, I'm your servant. This is what you've told me to do. Simple faith, listen, simple faith always ends in obedience. Mary said, okay. Then she went and checked out Elizabeth. She went and visited, right? Walked in and and Elizabeth said, whoa, (laughs) whoa. Baby leaped in the womb. And then I'm sure that Mary's heart was strengthened at that point in time. She didn't sit at home and go, well, I wonder what God's going to do now. And I challenge you, Grace Baptist Church, I challenge you, visitor, what has God revealed to you? Have you gotten up this morning and said, behold, your servant, I'm here to listen. I'm here to obey. Jesus Christ came to be the Savior of the world. He is God with us. The amazing thing is, is that the same Holy Spirit that was going to overshadow Mary, that was going to do the miraculous that we can't even comprehend, turning God into flesh. And I know that most of us know the, uh, the biology and all the different things about chromosomes and all those things, but you, you do not know how to take that which is not human and form it to be human and not human. That is miraculous. He is the great. He is the mighty. He is the unique Son of God. And Mary said, okay, what has God told you to do? Maybe you're here this morning and God's speaking to your heart to accept him as your savior. Maybe you need to say, behold, your servant. Maybe God's calling you into full-time service. And you need to say, behold, your servant. Maybe God needs you to confess a sin. And you need to say, behold, I'm your servant. Maybe God needs you to go to that next door neighbor. You need to say, behold, your servant. I I get nervous sometimes when I list a couple of things because I'm sure with this size group there is somebody who I have not named the thing that you need. But I challenge you, are you living in that simple obedience? Let's stand to our feet with our head bowed and our eyes closed. You've listened so very well. The angel came to Mary. And told Mary exactly what God had planned. I wonder what the Holy Spirit has said to you this morning. What is it that you've been denying him? Maybe you've missed the grace of God because it's shown up in a difficult package. Maybe you're upset with the doctors. Or maybe you're upset with a friend. Or with a co-worker. Or with another church member because of some difficulties that have come in and you've missed the grace and you simply need to bow before God and say, God, I would not have chosen this for my life, but you chose this for my life. Behold, I'm your handmaid. I'm your servant. 
What is it that God's calling you to do? If you're here, don't know Christ as your Savior, we'd love to take our Bible and show you how you can know him. We're going to have an invitation. We have a number of visitors here this morning. I'm so thankful for that. An invitation is when we invite you to plan your response. You say, well, Pastor Gopher, I've already responded. I've, I'm here in the service. Well, the response is the change that's going to manifest because of your obedience. And the invitation is when we invite you to plan that out, we open these steps as an altar. Many folks will come and will pray at the altar and, and tell the Lord specifically what it is that they need to do now to be doers of the word and not just hearers. Some can't kneel, so they'll sit in their seat. But can I encourage you, please don't just come to a banquet and leave with an empty plate. God has laid some truths before you. It doesn't matter who speaks the truths. God has laid some things out for you. What is it that you're going to do to practice simple, faithful obedience? We're going to have an invitation to give you time to do that. In a couple moments, I'm going to pray. After I pray, Brother Dave's going to begin to sing. As he sings, if the Holy Spirit's working in your heart, I would encourage you to kneel before him. If you physically can't kneel, to sit before him. To raise holy hands to heaven and say, God, this is what I need to do. If you know Christ is your Savior, maybe it's just rejoicing in the fact that you are highly favored among men. If you don't know Christ, maybe it's coming forward and talking to one of us so we can take our Bible and show you how you can know Christ. This invitation is for you to practice obedience. Lord, I ask that you'd be with each and every one of us. Help us to follow you. I pray that you would work miraculously. Lord, we love you. In Christ's name, amen. As Brother David sings, you come.